This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you listening along for some industry thought leadership. As you explore today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com. Again, opportune.com, as well as subscribing to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for full recordings in audio format, as well as notifications when we drop new episodes. So on today's episode of Energy to Business, we're excited to be chatting all things NAEP, which is the energy industry's marketplace for the buying, selling, and trading of prospects and producing properties. As we gear up for the 2021 NAEP Summit, which is in person between August 18th and 20th, as well as offering virtual conference experiences between August 9th and September 3rd. So our goal with today's conversation is to provide a a big picture look at how NAEP is reflecting the industry's needs, challenges, and opportunities, as well as highlighting the most exciting events and discussion points for this year's show. And we're so, so lucky to be joined by three guests today, two of whom have a long tenure of leadership with NAEP and the NOC, the NAEP Operators Committee. So first, I'd like to welcome frequent guest of the show, Mr. Steve Hendrickson, president of Ralph E. Davis Associates, an opportune company. Steve, welcome. Great to have you on. Thank you, Daniel. Glad to be here. Yeah. And joining us from the network of NAEP leadership, I'd like to welcome our other two guests, Grant Johnson, assistant chairman of the NAEP advisory board and previously chairman of the NOC in 2015, most recently member of the NOC during the 2020-2021 term. Grant Johnson, great to have you on. How are you? Great, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our visit. Absolutely. It's going to be a pleasure breaking down your insights today. And last but not least, we're also joined by Mr. Carl Campbell, ex-officio member of the NOC as AAPL First VP. He also previously served as NOC chairman in 2014 and on the NAEP advisory board between 2017 and 2021 in various leadership positions. Carl Campbell, great to have you on as well. How are you? I'm great, Daniel. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to join everyone today. Yeah, we've got a uh, quality panel here to give us some insights into what we can expect at the show and also intersect the show with how the industry is progressing, where it's facing some roadblocks. So I'm really looking forward to pulling from everyone's experience. Let's go ahead and jump in. We've got a lot to unpack. And uh, these first few questions are going to be for Carl and Grant. Steve, I've got a a starter question to pitch your way here in a sec. But Carl, Grant, let's start with y'all here. Can you track your backgrounds in the energy industry and specifically how you landed at NAEP and uh, in NAEP leadership positions, right? What does this conference represent for you in the context of that broader career? Grant, I think that uh, you might want to lead off on this front since you have been involved with NAEP as a participant since the very beginning of 1993. And uh, I'll, I'll hop in as, uh, as warranted. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Well, I... Uh... 
back in 93, I guess, when we started this, I was working for a gentleman um, named George Alcorn uh, that was very active in another organization, IPAA, that is one of the NAPE partners. And, uh, uh, and the rumors were out that we were about to have a uh, prospect show for where people would would show up uh, in a big gathering hotel ballroom and show their prospects, which was absolutely unheard of at the time. And uh, people just were not, it was always something that was done a one-on-one and the idea of putting your prospect and your maps and seismic and everything out there in the public for competitors and potential prospect uh generators and potential partners to see all in one place was kind of a scary idea, but uh, it started to catch on. And uh, and so that first year, um, I, uh, I, by working for Alcorn, I knew all this about this event. And so I went and uh, just walked through the show. It was here in Houston at uh, one of the Galleria hotels. And it was very well attended. Uh, everybody had, you know, I, I can't remember the numbers of how many people were there and how many prospect booths, but it it quickly caught on. And uh, that next year, I had formed Lone Star Production Company, and uh, we uh, we showed up in '94, that second year, had a booth. And it was just wonderful. I mean, you had, you know, everybody had to be a little bit careful about what you might show, but there was just there was no better networking place. And this thing just kept getting, getting more and more attention and growing. And we moved from the ballroom, slowly started adding all these little meeting rooms. And it was just a, a maze of, of prospect boost throughout that hotel until 99 when they moved it to the George R. Brown. But uh, uh, Carl, what, what, what would you add to those early years? Well, uh, you know, I, I agree, Grant. I, I was absolutely not a visionary on that front. Uh, when I first heard about NAPE, I, 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 I was very quizzical in regards to how could anyone go and show proprietary maps without a confidentiality agreement or the ability to, to protect, uh, the investment that you'd made and in, in, in leases up to that point and and uh, do that in an open forum so i was i was highly skeptical <laughs> to be honest with you uh until i attended the first show and uh to your point i think it was amazing to see that first year what a what a great reception there was even though it was kind of in a in a, in a more a crude environment uh, in regards to the, the the hotel set up there in the galleria uh, but you know, in ensuing years, it continued to grow, and I remember the uh, the NAPE staff had to to move over and and uh, and also get room at the other Weston Hotel there in the gallery area to to accommodate the demand. And uh, it was early on the thing that I noticed the most is 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 the networking component. The ability to to meet with people that you hadn't seen in quite some time uh, or hadn't seen in several years and in an environment that was, you know, kind of a, a relaxing environment to talk shop and uh, and look at, at 
possible investment opportunities. So from that standpoint, I was hooked fairly early on. But I, I must admit, at the at the outset, I I, I didn't see it and <laughs> I missed it. So kind of like why I didn't buy Tesla stock. But uh, <laughs> needless to say, it has been a a wonderful growth pattern from there. And uh, after they uh, outgrew the uh, the facilities at at the Westin, they moved to the GRB and on the was that 98, I believe, 98 or 99, 98, I believe. And, uh, and it was just something that you would never miss. And I have never missed an ape. Uh, that is one of the things that I would always attend. Now, unlike Grant, who has been a participant and exhibitor, uh, exhibitor from uh, very early years, uh, we have never exhibited as a company, as a booth, but we would not miss the opportunity to be there to, to visit with colleagues and to uh, to see the, the the just the ability to to meet in one spot and get caught up and look at their you know investment opportunities. Now, Steve, I want to pitch something your way. Uh, uh, but what does this conference represent to you as an industry professional and one who's been in the industry for several years now? And how do you feel it's going to set the tone for Q three? Uh, excuse me, Q three and Q four for the industry. Yeah, sure. So. Well, I've been going to NAPE for as long as I can remember. In fact, until um, Grant just mentioned the, the early days at, at the hotel ballroom, I'd even forgotten about that. So um, it's always been something that I strive to be at. And for many of the same reasons, really, uh, I, I kind of call it a family reunion of sorts. Um, great chance to see uh, old colleagues, old friends from the industry. There's a lot of social events, both at NAPE and around uh, the event that provide opportunity for networking and talking shop or just catching up with friends. Um, but for me, I think one of the most important or one of the most um, enjoyable parts of NAEP is when I, whenever I go, I, I start at one end of the hall and I just make it my point, whether it takes all day or part of both days, I'm going to walk the whole floor and see what's going on in the industry. Um, it gives me a great chance to get a sense of what the mood of the upstream industry is and see what new plays might be being developed. And a lot of times we'll see, you know, renewed interest in old plays. It's kind of great to see those things come back and see how new angles are being developed. Um, and of course, there's a whole transaction side to it. There's a chance to talk about potentially doing some deals or at least learning what kind of deals are on the market, what kind of deal structures are in vogue. Um, so those are the kind of the things I get out of it and why I look forward to it so much each year. I think this year is going to be especially good. Um, we've all been cooped up for a year and a half now and haven't had the chance for this sort of face-to-face um, -face interaction very much. And commodity prices are better. Deal flow is picking up. So I think there's going to be a lot of excitement and it'll be very interesting to see um, how uh, companies are responding to the changing environment. Steve, I, I completely agree with your comment there uh, in regards to the, the need for people to get back out and interact in person. And the wonderful aspect that uh, the NAEP the this summer is providing is the hybrid event of, of being able to also uh, have it pretend along the same time going on with OTC. And uh, I think that that is going to be a, a very helpful addition to kind of broaden the footprint and the awareness of NAEP. And so it should be interesting to see if we, we continue to add, you know, more participants in the future once people get exposed to it that may have not had the opportunity to 
attend in person before. So uh, I'm 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 anxious as well. I think that it should be uh, very well attended, and, and uh, even as we're coming out of this uh, this cocoon year that we've uh, been through the last 14 to 18 months. Carl Grant, I want to toss another question y'all's way. Uh, but having served in leadership over several years now for the conference, are there any uh, special events or uh, methodologies, strategies, anything that is particularly different this year that uh, you think is really standing out and elevating the conference? And really, what are some of the best ways you've seen it evolve in content as well as structure over the years as well? Well, I, I think the one of the things that you know that sometimes overlooked with with uh, the NAEP conference is the Global Business Conference, and that is something that is uh, over the years has really continued to just develop to be a premier opportunity for people to get together, listen from other industry leaders, and uh, very thought provoking. Should be uh, should be well attended this year as well. They've got a fantastic list of, of speakers lined up for the uh, the Global Business Conference. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the the NAEP and the OTC kind of joint session that's going to be taking place this year is going to be a, a a real additive to uh, to the overall event. And then the expansion into the renewals space. Um, the NAEP staff has just done an extraordinary job. In regards to trying to be reactive to to, to market needs, and to, as the the industry continues to to morph and develop, and this is a really neat added provision to to bring the renewable energy folks under the tent at NAEP. So that's uh, that's very helpful. Agree with everything that Carl has mentioned. It's just a uh, the icebreaker that's. On the 18th, uh, there's nothing like that where you get that many industry professionals in one setting. Uh, that's you know, it's although it's a giant room, you can uh, you you can wander through there and you'll see friends you haven't seen in years, and uh, just a great way to kick off the event. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole event, and I too am really looking forward to this renewable pavilion. Uh, although it's, it, you know, it's going to be the first year, but uh, it's the way I look at the prospecting, you know, which is what NAEP has been, been, was created for. There's a lot of similarities between the prospecting for renewable prospects, in essence, as, as there are for, for fossil fuel prospects. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what kinds of uh, prospects will will slowly start to show up uh, at the NAEP event and the types of groups that are going to be interested in seeing, you know, prospects in that kind of an environment that has worked so well for the fossil fuel prospects for all these years. I want to open up the conversation a little bit more now. So whoever wants to chime in here, feel free. Uh, but one of the things that I really want to highlight about the show is its inaugural Renewable Energy Pavilion. So this is the first time that renewable energy is getting its own dedicated space for sponsors, exhibitors, and attendees to learn more about this growing and ever more scalable side of the industry. I'm curious what all of you see as the most exciting business deals and uh, business opportunities that will lead the renewables conversation this year at the show and why? 
I'll take a shot at that one, Daniel. Uh, you know, we, I, I think one of the neat things about what's happening in renewables, and, and for us, we're kind of focused on underground carbon storage, and is the fact that it is such an um, a new, I won't say it's a new technology, but it certainly is an emerging technology. Uh, it is one that um, takes advantage of so many of the skills that we already have in the upstream business, but yet it's really not been widely practiced. Uh, you know, there's a few handful of international projects, one or two here in the United States. And so it reminds me in, in some ways of, of where we were with shales 10 or 15 years ago and just beginning to see uh, the the green shoots of new ideas. I don't really know exactly what to expect in the space. Uh, I think there's a, definitely a lot of interest, and I think it's going to be a big um, part of our business going forward. I'm excited to see this new pavilion and get a chance to meet some of the other players and, and start to compare notes and share ideas. I I, I echo your thoughts, uh, Steve, and, and, and just really anxiously looking forward to seeing how this kind of develops and uh, and more over time with this uh, renewables being added in under the under the tent. Um, you know, one of the things that we are all faced with uh, in our respective companies is being reactive and and also being very proactive in regards to ESG strategies. And I think that the ESG strategies that probably will be uh, provided and the opportunities to explore more of those uh, with other colleagues will be extremely helpful at this year's uh, NAEP event. And I, Ms. Grant, I agree. I think that the uh, uh, there there just there is going to be a lot of crossover. There's going to be. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of the same disciplines that are used in both. I love the titles, but for solar and wind, especially the and even battery storage, the title, the land uh, land work associated with identifying owners of these properties um, and securing those rights. Uh, so there, there's there's just a lot of guys that are already in that space, and it's just. Uh, it was perfect timing for for Nate to to include renewables in this. So I'm excited to see see who all comes out that hasn't been there in the past. I'm glad you brought up ESGs uh, because as a follow up here to that renewable energy pavilion, I want to better understand some of the pressing challenges that you might see reflected at NAEP this year. So there are three big ones that are on my radar. That would be trying to maximize and understand where to make investments around carbon capture technology, uh, which is still uh, in many ways in its beta phase, hasn't fully been scaled. So understanding how to get in early on those investments, I think is going to be a big point of conversation. Uh, like y'all mentioned, ESG strategies and understanding how expectations around those at an industry level and also pressure from uh, end users, from consumers, uh, how that might be putting some pressure on the industry as well. Uh, and then the third one being optimizing uh, the broader set of portfolios that companies have with renewable energy. So again, Carbon capture tech, ESG strategies, and optimizing portfolios with renewables. I'm wondering uh, how y'all see those challenges manifesting in the industry right now, and then more specifically, how you might see that reflected at NAEP this year with some conversations. Well, I think those are those are tough questions, right? Because all all three of those um, topics are 
somewhat in their infancy. And as you look around and see or read about uh, what people think and what's likely to happen, and you can get all sorts of different opinions. I think it's it's pretty clear that all of them represent uh, forces that are significant and are likely to continue. And so our industry is going to need to respond to all three of them. Um, it's a little tough for me to say exactly how it's going to play out, but I, I do think there's always benefit in getting getting your feet on the ground early, um, starting to develop some experience in an area, and then being prepared to adapt as the uh, as the winds start to blow in a certain direction. Um, we've certainly seen uh, a lot of cases lately where, as you mentioned, Daniel, you know how pressure from uh, pressure from the public is certainly influencing the large public companies, but we see that in the private world too that um, the investors in the private equity funds have ESG. Uh, demands, I guess, would be a fair way to put it. And that's starting to affect the way that those funds um, deal with the companies that they back. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, but I do do think it's definitely still evolving. Steve, if I might add on, I think you're you're spot on in regards to uh, the the landscape that's developing in front of us and, and the Stakeholder involvement in uh, in fossil fuel development has has more taken a, a, a definite activism phase that we've seen that we haven't seen before, uh, at least in in recent time, and so it is critically important to provide additional opportunities to learn more, to be more reflective, to be be you know the ability to to pivot and and do things in a, in a more, the, the most thoughtful way possible. And so consequently, um, you know, ESG has, has been something that's been reflective in, in all major boardrooms for, for quite some time and really has taken center stage in the last couple of years. Uh, and that's not going away. And the, the tailwinds as far as capital is concerned, I mean, whether you're talking about shareholder stakeholder capital or you're talking about private equity or institutional capital um, it is those winds are strongly moving in the favor of renewables as we all know and so it would be um, it would be silly not to 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 fully investigate opportunities to to look at and and get uh, get involved on the front end as you mentioned yeah to to that point Carl, uh, great point. But to that point, uh, the NAEP Business Conference, one of their topics and one of their sessions is finding new synergy in energy. And uh, that's that was this panel was put together uh, to to address a lot of that. So in uh, cap, one of the big uh, private equity sponsors uh, here in Houston has just uh, started a new energy transmission or uh, transition fund, and we have one of their vice presidents will be here to, to talk about the kinds of things they will be doing. So it's going to be interesting to hear the perspective from a group for that has raised money for the fossil fuels part for 30 plus years and now moving into this space, why they're doing it and the kinds of things they're looking to put the money in. Along with one of the big groups, uh, one of the other uh, panelists in there is one of the VPs at Shell, and and that's going to be moderated by one of the top renewable attorneys 
uh, out there with Norton Rose Fulbright uh, out of Austin, Becky Diffin. So it's going to be a really exciting panel that will be part of the business conference, uh, you know, the on the uh, you know prior to our event. So anyway, I, it's just going to be a great time, as Nate always is, a great time to kind of learn what's going on in the industry, where things are changing, especially after we talked about earlier being cooped up for for here a year and a half. Uh, it's be a great coming out party, I believe. Completely agree with you, Grant. Uh, you know, one of the things that another topic within that global conference is the, uh, the spectrum of political influence in the energy industry, which we know uh, is certainly an oppressive one at this particular point for uh, from a fossil fuel development. And, uh, and we need to just have a, a broader discussion, right? One of the things that, that I think all of us have talked about in the past is the fact that we've done a very poor job in communicating the critical importance of the fossil fuel industry to the overall, not only just the, the national economy, but the global economy as a whole. And so well, we're all in favor of a all-in type of fuel mix in regards to renewables and fossil fuel. You know, fossil fuel, you know, energy providing is not going to go go away anytime soon. And so we're going to be here for a while. We just need to make sure that we we more fully educate the public on the benefits of that, but at the same time, doing the the best we possibly can to work on sequestration, to work on you know minimizing any kind of adverse environmental impact that you know the production of of the wonderful products that that oil and gas provide. Um, Make sure that we do our our, our 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 best to minimize any kind of uh, negative contact in that regard. All right, everyone. This has been great so far. I've got one last main question, and then I'll open it up for uh, a very open-ended kind of final thoughts. But uh, what I want to highlight here is uh, AAPG is putting on a workshop at NAPE on the 17th. Uh, and that is going to be focusing on emerging trends in oil and gas, a.k.a. the next generation of challenges and opportunities for the industry. I want to pitch a few of them your way to see how you think they're shaping the industry today. And more importantly, what you think industry professionals should be focusing their time and resources on in response to these trends. Right. Where do the deals make sense? Where do they not is this a buzzy trend with no substance or is this a key one that is really going to drive the industry forward? So let's start with this first one. It's it's a bit high level, so feel free to uh, you know expand on it how you see fit. But uh, the trend of trying to balance your assets as an energy company and player uh, for both short-term opportunities responding to where the industry is at now but then also balancing your assets for long-term viability and trying to predict some of those larger shifts, uh, maybe uh, away from traditional assets toward renewables or you know, any other uh, long-term uh, shift for the industry. So again, balancing assets for either short-term opportunities versus long-term viability. How do you see that kind of trend actually uh, materializing in, uh, in practice? And then uh, how do you see that being reflected at NAEP this year? I would, one of the things that I've noticed here in the last six months or so is that there is a lot of interest, uh, even in by the small 
uh, operators to to this renewable push that we have. And so I think that there are a number of groups that have put projects together in the past, and I'll count us in this group, is that's kind of our specialty, using some of those same skills to look at how you might put together renewable or uh, you know carbon capture type of a project. So I think there's a lot of a lot of push right now for that. I mean, uh, the people are looking at where you might store that. A lot of questions are being asked of companies that own these old reservoirs that that are depleted. So I, I think there's there, there's a lot of room for uh, there's a lot of room for new entrants into that. And I think a lot of the fossil fuel focused companies for all these years or the perfect guys to be doing that. So, so I, that's, I, I do see, I, I, I see a lot of interest in there by guys you would have never thought would be interested in that. So we will see that at NAEP. You'll see who's looking at those kind of projects and why, and, and, you know, what, how they're going to go about it. So that to me, I, I think that w we will see these, Companies that have been focused on oil and gas projects for all these years, starting to look at how they might intermix in some more sustainable, uh, uh, environmentally friendly type approach into their business model. Grant, if I may add to, you know, one of the things, and we talked about this just recently, but, you know, balancing assets for uh, short-term opportunities. I mean, again, Oil and gas is not going to go away. One one example I like to bring about is, you know, the incredible year that we have been through and, and we're now emerging from, thank goodness. Uh, you know, when, when global demand fell by almost 30 million barrels a day, which had devastating impacts to, you know, the commodity price uh, for oil and for gas, but mainly for oil, uh, you think about that. We were burning prior to, or using prior to, the pandemic really taking hold on, from a from a global perspective, almost a hundred million barrels a day. Okay, we lose thirty million million barrels of demand, and that's substantial, and that's what it had a, a tremendous impact on commodity prices. But we were still using seventy million barrels a day just to keep the grid open. So again, you know. I think there's plenty of room for improvement and space for renewables, but oil and gas will be here for quite some time. And so that's something that we always need to look at when we're, we're trying to maximize our portfolios in regards to holding on to conventional or unconventional opportunities that we currently exist as compared to abandoning those and moving strictly to renewables. There's a, there's a fine balance. And again, as I mentioned before, there's plenty of room for both, but uh, but I, I I'm I'm just excited to see kind of a, an all-in discussion for people to be thoughtful and reflective of what it really takes to keep the global economy up and running. Yeah, you know, I think I think I'll add to that just one you know kind of one thought in about what I'm kind of hopeful to see when we get to NAEP, which is um, well, if you think back, we've kind of gone through this period of. Uh, Increased focus on uh, investor returns, maybe not as much uh, um, interest in growth and companies. 
Um, and so just for the sake of growth, right, there's a little bit more capital discipline being uh, exhibited or is desired by investors. And as a result, we also saw a number of consolidations start to occur. So whereas last year we had a um, pretty slow M&A market on the, I'd say, the small to mid-sized deals, uh, I think this year with some consolidations behind us and prices a little bit better, I think we'll start to see some of those types of assets come to the market. And, uh, you know, I'm always interested to see what's on the market and what kind of uh, deals are getting done. Um, as an engineer, I always get excited about seeing those things. So it's been a little bit dry for the last um, for the last year. So it'll be fun to see what uh, folks are putting on the table. One of the other trends I want to get y'all's thoughts on that's going to be represented again at this AAPG workshop at NAEP is uh, trying to maneuver some data strategies for strategic planning uh, more and more uh, as uh, different operations at the edge of the energy industry uh, get more powerful and start to feed more data back to centralized hubs. And just as the back-end data management of the energy industry is revitalized by investments in AI, the cloud, etc., and even the expansion of 5G. Uh, What we're seeing is several energy players trying to understand what are we supposed to do with all of this data? How do we not only funnel it, but then also make sense of it and then turn it into actionable strategies for future investments? So thoughts there. Uh, What do you think industry professionals should be focusing their time and resources on in response to uh, that trend of trying to maneuver data strategies for strategic planning. Great question, Daniel. Uh, from my perspective, and I think that you know, I know that Steve and, and Grant probably um, know this better than any. But you know, data is one of the most important critical aspects that we all deal with, especially in our in our industry. And and as we have continued to try and refine and be good stewards of capital. In regards to opportunities that uh, that come across our desks, we need to make sure we're handling that data and being able to filter through it in a manageable way. And thankfully, there are are some really new and exciting platforms that have come to the forefront over the last few years that are very helpful in that regard. But it is something that we can't live without, and we will continue to utilize and you know to your your point your point and and question in regards to ai i think that that is probably one of the most exciting areas to be able to help filter through just the immense amount of data that that uh, that we have available at our fingerprints or, or you know it's 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 a little bit daunting to think about uh just all of the different amounts of information that are available and how to use it properly. So AI will will also be very helpful in that regard in in just trying to manage the the different databases that we have. Yeah, you know, it's very challenging and and very exciting at the same time. I I was actually speaking to some new hires the other day and gave me a chance to talk, I guess, kind of illustrate how old I was. And I was talking about how at the beginning of my career, I had, uh, I was at Shell. And if you wanted to desktop computer, you had to write up a justification for it. And, you know, how things have certainly changed. But even way back then, um, you know, your job was about data. How do you, how can you take all of this information that oil and gas wells and logs and seismic and on and on and on financial data, how can you uh, make sense out of this? And it's really been 
the story my whole career, really. It's just been as technology, um, computer technology got stronger, software was developed to harness that power, and solutions were developed, how you could learn about those and uh, employ them in your business. That's been an ongoing part of the oil and gas business ever since I've been involved. And it's just getting more uh, more complex because uh, of some of the new technologies. It's just like like so many things, it grows exponentially. And there's so many different ways to approach a problem, uh, trying to figure out which of these technologies can be deployed and, and be deployed in a way that actually is going to save time and save money and make better decisions. It is a big challenge, uh, but it, but it's a lot of fun, and um, we try to keep our ear to the ground and make sure we're uh, taking advantage of the things that you know that make sense and and what we do. And I'm sure the the guys that are on the operating side are, are doing so as well. Well, and Steve, to your point, uh, as a small EMP group that just seems to focus on the immediate stuff in front of us every day. It takes an event like Nate for our team to to uh, be exposed to all of these new uh, data strategies and and services that are out there that can help us and and where we wouldn't necessarily go out and look for some of that stuff. There's no better place than Nate to to see because everybody is showcasing the newest and best. So uh, we we do look forward to that aspect of the show for sure. And then last main point I've got for y'all is uh, trying to understand what should industry professionals uh, focus some of their resources on when trying to respond to disruptions to financing approaches in the energy industry today. Uh, As you answer that, if you could just lay out a few of those key disruptions and then where you think professionals should be you know, really paying attention as well as, uh, you know, where should they be putting their chips, right? Daniel, I'll I'll take that uh, question initially. And I will tell you that uh, capital is extremely scarce for upstream E&P companies. Uh, That has just been a a consequential shift of of ESG and uh, the the focus on renewables. So we have to be extremely mindful as an upstream E&P of how we're going to manage financing of, of current opportunities that we have, as well as future opportunities that we would be like to be a part of. And so, um, you know, that again, like every landscape we've talked about up to this point, will always shift and morph. But uh, the near term, it's challenging for EMP companies. So, you know, one of the things that we need to do is to, to look at, at various options and to see what other options there will be available for us other than just financing things straightly out of uh, out of free cash flow which is kind of what everyone is 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 focused on right now and we don't want to uh to repeat a position of of getting too far out in front of our skis so to speak in regards to uh the development of opportunities and and outspending uh, your cash reserves but but you know this is a very very expensive business and it's very, very complex, and it takes a tremendous amount of capital to get anything done. And so it weighs heavily on us to, to make sure uh, that, that we are, are making the right decisions and, uh, and doing that in a thoughtful manner. I, I appreciate what Carl led off with. Our, we are a uh, 
exploration-focused group, and there has been no time harder to raise exploration capital during this last 18 months. I, I truly believe that's changing but uh, and getting better and better, but it, it has been really tough. And, and I think that that, you know, that creates opportunity. So for those that, that do have capital that have figured out, uh, you know, where, where to obtain capital that, that matches the risk that's associated with some of the upstream stuff that we, that we, you know, that we're all looking for. There's some exciting new plays that are going out, going on out there. And, you know, um, you know, NAPE's where you're going to, we're going to see all of that, all, all of those new uh, exciting plays. And so for us, uh, you know, we're, that's where we learn of these new capital providers or new, new uh, uh, capital sources. Uh, we're we're going to learn about them at things at, at events like NAEP. So it's important to us uh, to be there and to 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 figure out who's looking for that. Has does have some risk appetite, but there's there's no better time to be doing that when then when very few are doing some of this upstream more risky exploration efforts. So uh, we're looking forward to the show and hoping to be able to uh, find the right kind of partners for the different things that we're doing. And, um, and I, you know, back to the business conference. I mean, that was one of the key, one of the, another key panel is this private equity uh, panel that's kind of talking about how things have changed within their space and what to look for and and what what differences and changes we can all expect to see. So um, that's what these gatherings are for. And I think on that note, that does it for our conversation. I'll open the floor here for just one last bit of closing commentary. But uh, as we gear up for the show next month. Uh, what are y'all most excited to see? If you got to give us a quick elevator pitch, right? Your favorite uh, booth that you're looking forward to seeing, favorite uh, event, uh, or maybe favorite company you're looking to reconnect with. Give us that fave and why. You know, I'll, I'll take a quick crack at this one and uh, leave it to the guys to, to wrap it up. But I always really get a kick out of seeing some of the more interesting exploration plays. Uh, there are a lot of guys that work some some areas that you know don't make all the headlines, but they work them for a long time. They put a lot of uh, interesting ideas together, and it's always a pleasure to visit with them and uh, understand you know how they came up with their idea and what they have behind it. It's, it's just always very interesting um, to me to learn about those and and see the product of their good work. I agree, Steve. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one of the things that, that has been tenant with, with Nate from, from the outset. And, and again, under the staff leadership that, that Nate has, has shown over the years, um, one of the catchphrases that's so important is it's where deals happen. You know, sex, success is not just what you know, but it's, it's who you know. And it's again, one of those things of being able to connect face to face with various companies and individuals to kind of bring that humanity back to, to our industry and, and being able to establish long lasting relationships that uh, in some cases last, you know, nearly a lifetime. So uh, it's extremely exciting that we're going to have this opportunity to, to get back together 
and I am thrilled to see how uh, Nate turns out this summer. And Carl, I I agree. It's uh, I've really missed this. Nate has been the lifeblood of our business uh, for all of these years, and uh, we go there with a plan. We'll put a prospect or a prospect area up or a trend or something that that causes people to stop by and start the dialogue. But but at the end of the day, you walk out of that event and you will have reacquainted yourself with people that you hadn't seen in years that were too ready to be out. I mean, they too were ready to be out there and 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 tell about their new jobs uh, you get to see friends that you just, it's just hard to get out there and connect with everybody that you want to, unless you have a gathering like this. So uh, I, I I can't sleep before the night. I've told Carl that, but I can't sleep before that first night of NAPE. I'm so excited to get there and see everybody. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I too am very thankful for the staff at NAPE that, 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 do all of this work to put on this kind of a fabulous show for for guys like us that enjoy it so much. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up our conversation today. Thank you so much to the three of you for giving us this overview of NAEP 2021, what you're all excited for, and more importantly, how you see it reflecting some of the broader trends and challenges in the energy industry today. So thank you again to our three guests, Steve Hendrickson, president of Ralph E. Davis Associates, an opportune company, Grant Johnson, assistant chairman of the NAEP Advisory Board, and Carl Campbell, ex-officio member of the NOC as AAPL first VP. Thank you again to all of you. And Steve, if folks want to find out a little bit more about uh, Ralph E. Davis, or maybe they want to connect at the show, how can they do so? Oh, yeah. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Well, we will definitely uh, be at the show. We'll have a booth. I'm sure we'll be easy to find. And uh, of course, uh, opportune.com is where you can find out more about uh, Opportune and about Ralph E. Davis. And then same question for Grant and Carl. Uh, if folks want to connect at the show or they want to learn more about some of the work you do outside of NAEP, how can they do so? Grant, we'll start with you. We uh, have a company called Lone Star Production Company, and uh, it's at uh, LoneStarProduction.com. And I'll let Carl give the the, the NAEP uh, contact information. Well, yeah, it's... Uh... You know, NAPEXPO.com is, is how you can, can register for the event. And uh, we'd love to see everyone that uh, would be able to attend or has any interest in attending. Uh, there's also, uh, if you can't be here in person, there is a, a virtual option. But there is no substitute to being uh, being there in, in person. So strongly recommend that. As far as uh, personally, uh, our company is called Alamo Resources. And uh, and I can be reached at uh, at Carl at AlamoResources.com. Fantastic. Steve, Grant, and Carl, thank you again to the three of you. It's really been a pleasure today. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com. Again, opportune. Dot com, as well as subscribing to Energy to Business on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Energy to Business. Energy to Business.